Welcome to the Women's Leadership Network podcast series. This series was created as a means to encourage, inspire, and empower women who want to make their lives better. The day will come, and I always say this to young people, when someone doesn't show up for work and all of a sudden you're up to bat and it's your shot. And if you're ready for it and you have the bravado and the ego to go for it, it's going to be your moment. We look for current issues and challenges facing women in the legal world and offer ways of tackling these issues as well as provide a community of support and engagement. I'm Jeannie Forrest for the Women's Leadership Network. My guest today is Sloane Lindemann Barnett, a 1993 graduate of NYU Law and a journalist, author of Green Goes With Everything, Simple Steps to a Healthier Life and a Cleaner Planet. I am so tickled that you're with us today. We're here in San Francisco, and so welcome. Um, Jeannie, thank you. I've known you for so long. I've been a part of everything that has to do with NYU Law School for even longer, and, um, and I feel honored that you even care about what I have to say. You graduated right before I came to the law school. That um, kind of makes me feel old. How about me? Makes me feel even older. I've been through three deans in my time at the law school. I started with John Sexton. Um, We thought there could never be another dean after John Sexton. In fact, it's a funny little ditty of a story, and it's a true story, which is that I was put on the search committee for the next dean, and we all sat around the table. We were, I don't know, 15 people. I remember this moment. I remember the room, D'Agostino, downstairs, and we sat in this big room and with a nice wood table, and we all looked at each other, and no one had anything to say. And finally, I don't think it was me, because I was way too young to have this nerve back then, somebody said, well, there isn't going to be any other dean. We could never have another John Sexton, and we all agreed, and we all said, forget it. This committee has no work to do, because we are not searching for anything. There's only one dean. And then Ricky came into our world, and that was fabulous. And in fact, there's a lesson to be had in thinking about this. But then Ricky, you know, did so many wonderful things for the law school, was an even better fundraiser than John, if I'm allowed to say that, because I know that's in the book. And, um, and then after Ricky, who would ever come again? And now we have an even, you know, more exciting, young, vivacious, fantastic new dean. And so maybe there's a lesson that there is always tomorrow. There is always something different. We can always do better. And just when you think that you can't do anything else, there's a right turn or a left turn in life that could take you somewhere Um, that you never imagined you could be, and that could be really, truly fantastic. I think that's the story of NYU Law School in a crazy kind of way. It kind of teaches us to live in optimism. And to not be scared of left turns. I've lived my whole life to not be scared of left turns. And I never want to say that I'm encouraging recklessness, but I am encouraging taking a shot. We'll call it reckless prudence. Perhaps. And I think that lawyers tend to not do that. That's not what we're taught. So... Here we are. Indeed. Well, because this podcast is really oriented around women, I'll start with this. What was your experience as a law student? And how did being a woman as a law student influence that experience? I had a really different vision of what law school was. The day before, I made sure I had a skirt and pumps, and I thought it was real professional school. I didn't understand that we would go and be around this incredibly smart group of people in our genes, hashing it out, talking about interesting topics all over the world. And I didn't get that the professors would be as diverse and as interesting and at sometimes eccentric as they were. And so I went there 
thinking one thing and it turned out to be something very different. Law school was an extraordinary experience in learning how to argue, learning how to debate, learning as a woman how to stand up and say what I wanted to, say what I felt, say what I would then end up saying in front of a live jury. Law school was hard. I didn't make a lot of friends. So I um, had, I'm from New Yorker. So I kept my New York life at the same time that I was attending law school. And I actually even tried to run a business. You don't know this part. Um, All at the same time, um, my father thought it was a really good idea to run a small business and he's an entrepreneur and thought that I could handle it all. Turned out I really couldn't, um, but I tried. And so... Thank you for saying that you couldn't handle it all. That's important. Okay, here we're going to take a left turn in this conversation. Women cannot have it all. We can have a lot, but we can't have it all. And those that try to tell you that you can are setting you up for failure and feeling like you can't live up to that because we can't, but we make great choices along the way and we make informed ones and we pick and choose what we think. And by the way, that changes on a yearly basis. So if you're 25 listening to it, it's different than when you're 30 or 40 or 50, but you can have so much. And I would tell you that law school, while not sort of the most fun experience, college was more fun. While quite serious and hard, the bar exam's a real bummer. I mean, I'm just going to say that right there, sitting there at the Jacob Javits Center with 6,000 other nerd balls, <laughs> writing so fast that I, you know, today it's probably on a computer and it's probably not at the Jacob Javits Center, but okay. Um, maybe you take it at home online. I have no idea. But, you know, all that's a bummer. But what it did for me, I would never trade in. If I could go back, I would do it all again. Okay, I wouldn't wear a skirt that first day. I looked like an idiot. But I would wear my jeans and I would do it all again. I would suffer through taking that bar exam. And I have a daughter and I am going to try with everything that I have to get her to go to law school. I think in particular for women to learn to stand up for yourself, to learn to then someday be able to speak in front of a New York jury. Those are the hardest jurors I think probably in the country. They're the angriest anyway to have to be there. And uh, to have learned all of the skills that I did in law school, while I never practiced for very long, have colored everything about my life. And I would go back and do it all over again. And how many things in your world can you say that about? Not that many. Most of the time, those are uh, most, most of our decisions have colored, uh, are colored with some regret. So that's a, that's a good endorsement. Hopefully not your graduate school, your marriage, or your children. (laughs) Other than that, it's all, you know, in the flow. You did go to work for our long-serving district attorney, Robert Morgenthau, for three years. What was that like? Extraordinary. I went because that's the best start of the story, and it really colors and talks about how I feel about professional life and career which is that you never know what's going to come at you next, and you just have to be as open-minded as you can. I wanted to be an environmentalist. I actually wanted to go to forestry school at Yale. I applied there, and my mother really, who's a big piece of my world and a very educated person and really has great values, said, why would you ever want to do that? It's such a narrow focus. Go to law school where you have a lot of options. So I applied to one law school, the so-called fun law school, because I had a boyfriend, it always comes down to that boyfriend, right, at Columbia, and he was miserable. So I said, well, I wanted to be in New York at NYU. They're having a good time, or so they said, and they were. That was true. It's all relative, right? It's, it's, it's all relative. I went to NYU Law School, 
And, um, and, but I still wanted to pursue a career in the environment. I tried it one summer. I ended up doing water rights in New Jersey with a lawyer who was living in Philadelphia for the Environmental Defense Fund. It was the worst job ever. And it convinced me, not correctly, by the way, that maybe the environment was not for me. Fear not, I went back to it. But at that point, I went to my dean. And I can't say that enough times, you know, to reach out to mentors, to reach out to professors, to stand on the line in the office hours, to get a chance to speak to the dean of the law school is about the smartest few hours you could ever stand in any line. Because they've lived it all, they've heard it all, and they're going to give you their little words of wisdom that could change your life. And mine changed my life. I got few words from John Sexton. And he said, go try the Manhattan DA's office. They're still taking resumes. And I said, are you out of your mind? Why would I do that? What does that have to do with anything I've ever told you I'm interested in? He said, well, it doesn't, but you'll shoot guns and you'll ride in a cop car and it'll be really fun for a summer. You should go try it. And so I did. And I did just that. I was in the 3-2, the 32nd precinct, uh, with gunshots behind me, with no bulletproof vest, running up in a, you know, not ideal housing. And it was the most exciting job I had ever had, the most, um, the greatest sort of look into what New York City is really about, having lived there my whole life. And I was just enamored with the experience. And so I went back there after law school. My family was shocked and I became a prosecutor. And the best trial experience any young lawyer, I mean, they don't pay you anything, but man, to have that experience at age 24 is really incredible. You're in front of real juries. You're trying your own cases. I mean, no law firm could ever mimic what you know, the prosecutor's office can ever offer you. And then to have worked for Mr. Morgenthau was a great privilege, um, you know. So that's a real left turn. Now, this is, you know, talk about a left turn. How, when you get a flood of advice, and you got tons of advice, obviously, because you sought out advice sensibly, and I would second that. Um, I'm notorious for having said in an SBA meeting, don't be a chicken liver go talk to your faculty. And I will resoundingly always say that. You don't have to listen to the advice, but you can hear a lot of it. So why would you do that? You were interested in environmental law. And here was John Sexton telling you, go do this crazy thing. And you did it. And I did it. Well, I'm willing to take a shot and a risk. So you have to start there. I also think, and I've said this to so many, you know, admitted students who are trying to pick between the varying law schools around the country, the enormous privilege, and I, I should repeat this 10 times until somebody hears me, of going to school in New York, whether you go to Columbia or Fordham or NYU, but especially NYU with its ex extraordinary clinical program, and we're celebrated all over the world for this clinical program, to be able to taste all the flavors and that's one of my favorite expressions. While you're in law school, where the risk is quite low and there's no real financial risk, is the great privilege of going to New York University Law School. That's what it is. So you have a chance through two summers, through all kinds of programs, first, second, and third year, to taste a lot of flavors and to put your toes in a lot of different ponds and to say, hmm, I never thought that'd be interesting. Turns out it is. Maybe that's for me. Maybe this is for me. Oh, what about that? That sounds really cool. So I didn't think I wanted to be a criminal lawyer, but I liked criminal law. I took the class. I thought it was awesome. And then 
my guru, John Sexton, said, why don't you give this a try and you could ride in cop cars? And I was like, okay, I'm in. And when I got on the inside, I saw what incredible, fascinating work it was. And I was dying to try it and to try to get that job. I also had the privilege of working at the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District while in law school. I mean, who gets that chance to actually see what's on the inside of an incredibly celebrated place like the Southern District? But I saw that it was really clean, and everyone wore kind of fancy suit and tie, and you never were really, as a young lawyer, in front of a jury, and you were really the fourth guy at the desk, and I just, that wasn't for me. But I had the chance to see that it wasn't for me. And I think that you really need to, if there's one bit of advice as a, you know, beginning of your first year is to use the time in law school and in New York City. That's the privilege, right? We could all be in Chicago or maybe we'd be in California or even in Boston or God forbid in New Haven, but we don't have the opportunity to to try all these places with basically... There's no downside to it, right? Go try it out. Eight weeks, 10 weeks, a summer, and check out the world. And it really could give you an opportunity you won't have. When you graduate, you have to make a choice. But while in law school, you can taste all the flavors. And I, you know, I say that because I, I think truly of, you know, standing there and, you know, you're going to choose the mint chip or the chocolate. Well, if you've tried them, then that's why the ice cream store allows you to have a little sample because they're trying so that you can put your toe in the water. The law school allows for that. That's, the, I think, one of the strongest things we allow for. And so if you have the privilege of being at NYU Law School, and you probably do since you're listening to this, then I would chase after any experience that you could possibly have in your summers and at night and in the afternoons and while in law school all the way through your third year. Because how else are you going to know what you want if you don't try it? So grab a big spoon and try it, try it all. Try it all. I love it. You're now a journalist, an author. I think of you as a real contributor to public thinking. Um, you've gotten back into the green world. I always want to call you up as I see the EPA getting gutted. I'm sorry, I wasn't going to go there. Uh, certainly a different path than a traditional lawyer, one that I'm sure still requires you to utilize your legal thinking. What skills and ideas that you learned some years ago during law school have been most helpful now when you look back? I think what colored my path was, again, the concept of believing in yourself and taking a shot. You're still tying a rope around yourself and exploring new things, aren't you? And and I'm trying, right? Because what else is life about? But you've got to try to know that you can do it, even when there's a little birdie inside of you that says, you know, in your mind that says, you know, can you? And I think the preparation that NYU Law School affords makes it so that probably you can handle that crazy experience. I left the DA's office for a myriad of reasons. Sometimes I look back and say, I wish I had stayed long enough to try a homicide because that would have been an incredible experience. But I didn't. I had a, a that birdie that said, I had always wanted to be a journalist. I had always wanted to be in television news, and this was my moment. And so, well, how am I going to do that? And I went to try the traditional way. What they wanted was for you to go to a small market. I didn't want to leave New York City. I went to New York One. I thought maybe I could cover the, the trial beat, but they didn't seem very interested in that at the moment. And my best friend in law school said, you know, maybe you could write a column. You help so many people at the DA's office. You see at the DA's office the the witnesses that you call in and 
all the people you seem to be surrounded by, the police officers, they don't really have a lot of access to the law or to a proper lawyer. So while they're sitting there annoying you in your office, they, um, they ask you a lot of questions. And questions, by the way, you have no right answering, but you try to do your best, whether that's you know, landlord tenant or divorce law, or, you know, they want to sue their plumber in small claims court, whatever it is, they got a lot of questions. You try your best to answer them, what you might've learned in law school. And my girlfriend said, she's a graduate now of the law school. And, uh, she said, why don't you try to write to all the New Yorkers asking them for questions and maybe you could help them. And so thus began my column, which was called the, first it was State Your Case, then it was The Avenger. People from all five boroughs would write in, and I had a column in the New York Daily News for a very long time, I think a decade, where I tried to answer their questions and tried to be what I had been back in my office waiting for trial with all of these witnesses. That was a real risk to take that. I didn't know what kinds of letters I would get. I didn't know whether I could do the job. And I went there and I pitched the idea. And they said at the Daily News, but you've never written before for a paper. You are not a journalist. You're a prosecutor. I said, I know, but I think I can do this. They said, well, you go to a community paper and you try it. And if it works, bring it back to us. I said, okay, but here's a sample. I was ready. Preparedness, another big issue here. You got to always be ready for the questions that you're going to be asked, for the opportunities that might arise. So there I was. I had a sample of what I had in mind and I handed it to this editor at the New York Daily News. And he said, okay, well, I'll read it, but you go to that community paper, you call me when it's a success. And a few days later, I got a call and he said, you know, I read it and it's really interesting. You start on Sunday. And thus I got the job at the New York Daily News. And it just unraveled from there. And, you know, you get lucky sometimes. A girlfriend of mine was working as a lawyer at ABC News and she showed the column to the head of hiring. And next thing I knew, I was called in and I spoke with bravado about something I knew absolutely nothing about, <laughs> which was television news, never had done one minute of news. But I had spoken in front of a New York jury, and I knew that if I could stare them down in the eye, that I could probably handle looking at a piece of equipment. Little did I know that next thing I was sitting in Peter Jennings' chair at ABC at World News Now, and O.J. Simpson was arrested that day. And so there I was. And I can just say, I guess everybody's old enough for, to have me curse a little bit. What the hell have you done now, Sloan, right? I'm sitting there in the chair talking to myself. I go, how did you end up here and what is the plan? Because you've never been on television before and now OJ's, you know, sitting in a cell somewhere. And so, boom, it was, you know, lights, camera, action. And I just started to talk and I was, I think, how old could I have been? 27 years old or something, 28, not very old, let's put it that way. Um, Talk about a moment. Talk about a moment. And I thus began a legal commentary that lasted me through OJ and that nanny who hurt the baby and the Unabomber. And, you know, it went on and on. I did a lot of women's talk shows. Um, I sort of transitioned into consumer news. And I was always ready to take a shot, even if I wasn't prepared, even if I didn't know exactly what I was doing. I had my law degree behind me. I had my, you know... New York jury experience and, and NYU, and off I went, and I took a shot, and I believed in myself, and sometimes I didn't always know what I was doing, but I carried through, and I was always willing to make a left turn, make a right turn, and take a risk. 
that's the Hamilton answer to my next question, which is, what do you believe is the best way to advocate for oneself, especially when you're the only woman in the room? I mean, I've been in the room with you where, you know, you and I are the only women in the room. Lots of times. Lots of times. And um, you speak up, right? Right. I learned something new today. You don't want to be the chicken liver. Right. You don't want to be... Such a New York moment. Nobody in my town even knows what chicken liver is. You have to have the chutzpah. Right. Um, Tina Brown recently said, women who took steady, linear progress for granted are experiencing an unfamiliar and unsettling sensation. A wary, scary feeling of real and present danger. What advice would you give to young women and lawyers who've recently graduated or recently been promoted and are trying to figure out how to manage professional relationships today, where it seems like we've had some setbacks? That's a good question. You know, the the whole um, lean-in moment, I think, has a lot of relevance. You know, Sheryl Sandberg is from my town, and it's interesting because early days, I went on an interview for law school. Do you still even interview the students? We don't interview them. Okay, well, back in my day, you did. And I'll never forget what the it was a woman, a lawyer. And she, I got to the end, and do you know what she said to me? She said, you know, and this is way before Cheryl probably wasn't even born yet. Well, she's not that much younger than me. But anyway, she said, I knew you wanted this because many people that I interview sit back in the chair. And they, they put their own arms on the chair arms, and they sit back in the chair. You sat at the front of your chair and leaned towards me as you spoke to me, as though you really wanted it and you were really invested in this process. And for that, I'm going to write you a letter of recommendation. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, was completely unaware at age 22 of how I sat in a chair. But I mean, I think that is the analogy. And, and Cheryl wrote a book about it, and it was very successful. And she's right. It is all about the belief in yourself. It is all about knowing that you can do it. And it is about demanding your place at the table. It's being ready. So it's knowing that you deserve that place, stepping up to state that you do, and being ready when and if it happens. That's all a big piece of the puzzle because the day will come, and I always say this to young people, when in whatever job you're in, whether it's in corporate law or at the news station, when someone doesn't show up for work, someone calls in sick or has some other kind of reason, and all of a sudden you're up to bat and it's your shot. And if you're ready for it and you have the bravado and the, and the sort of self, the ego to go for it, it's going to be your moment. And so I say that to young lawyers and to, to even when you're your first year summer internship, it's not all that exciting. You get people coffee. It's okay. You make copies or we don't, you scan things. Sorry, that was a more modern way to say it, right? But the day is going to come in that summer internship when the person ahead of you doesn't show. And it's going to be your moment to step up and to shine. And you got to be ready. You got to be ready for that left turn. You got to be ready to know and to believe in yourself. You got to be ready to demand your place at the table. And Jeannie, that's what you and I do when we're in a meeting. We demand to be heard. That's what we women have to do. Because it's not always, we're not always going to be called upon we have to make sure that we're heard. We speak up. Right. It happens. Yep. There's a little kid a long time ago, a little Sloney. Yeah. What would she think of you now? I don't think she's that different. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think that I am 
And it's something I say about parenting. I, I mean, I think you have your inner core values. You stay true to them. You know who you are. You keep marching down the path. You don't get scared by a left turn or a right turn. And you keep having fun. You keep trying to wake up and thinking the world's going to be a better place. So I, I don't think I'm all that different from when I, you know, back then. It's no different than people who ask me about parenting today. You know, how do I do it? And how did they end up that way? I have three children. And I say, I don't think it's that complicated. I think they mimic what they see in you and you impart your own values. So I think that's what happened to me. I'm very much like a very strong mother that I had before me. And I hope that I'm still the same person, the believer and the dreamer that I was back then. I know your mom's really proud of you. No doubt. And, um, and very proud that she forced me to go to law school. Who knows what would have happened had I gone to forestry school. But I hope to think that other interesting things might have happened and it just would have been a different path. Well, for what it's worth institutionally and for how I represent the institution, we're really proud of you too. Thank you for doing this. Thanks. It's very cool that you're part of this. I'm proud of you um, as the Women's Leadership Network and am very impressed with everything that you've done. And thank you for being an explorer and for speaking up and not not ever missing your shot. I feel truly honored that you would even consider having me included in this amazing group of women. So thank you for that. And um, I'm happy to see you. For more information about the Women's Leadership Network at NYU School of Law, and to access more episodes in this series, please visit us online at law.nyu.edu slash women's leadership. <laughs>